Hello and welcome to another episode of Bill's Facebook Studies. We are working through the Daily Bible in Chronological Order, edited by Dr. F. Lagarde Smith, Smith, member of the Churches of Christ. And this has been a wonderful tool that I have enjoyed using for a long time, and I guess some of you are enjoying it as well. If you've been reading along, we're nearly there. We're close to uh, the New Testament. I know I've been saying that for a few weeks, but it's true. Uh, it's true. We'll have a, a lesson uh, next week on Tuesday uh, that emphasizes the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then I believe on Thursday we start reading in the Gospels. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, if you have just now started or just now listening, even for the first time, that's okay. Uh, read today's reading first, as I always say. If you have a copy of the Daily Bible, I like the Kindle copy because that way you can read it on your phone. You can read it just about anywhere or on your tablet or whatever. Uh, the hard copies are great as well. I have a, a, an old, old one of those, and then we have another one at home. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the best Bible study, daily Bible reading tool that I've ever found. And we are in the midst of looking at the rebuilding and resettling of uh, the city of Jerusalem and the land of Judah or Israel or Palestine, that is uh, where the Jews inhabited their land as given to them during the time of the patriarchs, uh, the 12 sons of Jacob, and then ultimately uh, Moses leading the people from Egypt and back to the, to the banks of the Jordan River, Joshua leading them across, taking the land and then distributing it amongst the 12 tribes, ultimately leading through the time of the judges, which was a difficult reading, into the time of the United Kingdom, where Israel was one kingdom under King Saul, and then King David, a whole new line, and his son, King Solomon, and then the, the nation divided, uh, during the time of Rehoboam, the son of of, uh, of King Solomon, and um, and and it was a difficult history from there. And you've been reading all of that if you've been keeping up. And uh, it was a difficult difficult time of different kings and different prophets, and the northern kingdom of Israel exiled to uh, the in the hands of the, of the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah exiled and defeated at the hands of the Babylonians. And the walls uh, torn down, the beautiful temple of Solomon destroyed, and the Israelites taken into exile. And then um, decades later, just as Jeremiah prophesied, 70 years or so later, uh, they began to come back under King Cyrus, the Persian king, who said, okay to go back, okay to rebuild your cities, and provided uh, opportunity for them to do that. So many of the Jews did, as we have seen over these last a few weeks, and we've seen uh, the time of uh, the temple being rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel, a descendant of King David, and uh, that happens in 516 BC. We read the exciting story of Esther uh, that happened around 480 BC during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, the Medes and the Persians, and then uh, now we come to Nehemiah. This great story of the rebuilding of the walls. Uh, Ezra the priest is going to be recording some things about this, but primarily it is in the book of Nehemiah, 
and Ezra, and we'll be looking at on Thursday, who uh, is one of the leaders in reforming the worship and practice daily living of the Jews in accordance with the law, being a priest himself. Uh, here we find Nehemiah, and uh, Nehemiah is uh, in uh, uh, the land of the exiles uh, before uh, returning. And uh, he is in uh, the, the capital, one of the capital cities of the Medes and the Persians, the city of Susa. Uh, that's where uh, some of Esther takes place. And so I wanted us to look at this grand story today, and a lot of it we'll be reading, but we'll be reading, uh, first of all, from chapters 1 and 2, where Nehemiah approaches his king and approaches his God first. One of the great things about Nehemiah is his devotion to prayer. So the words of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1, verse 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. Um, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and who are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We see it right off the bat, Nehemiah, a man of prayer, praying and fasting and weeping, um, lamenting the sorrow that he felt because of the fate of his uh, beloved Jerusalem and of the people there. Verse 5, then I said, and this is Nehemiah's great first prayer, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah takes responsibility. He doesn't sugarcoat it at all. He says, We're, we've sinned. We've sinned. Even I have sinned. My family has sinned. All of us. He continues on in verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Those words were written even before uh, God had chosen Jerusalem to be that city. Moses could only say he'll choose a city one day where his name uh, will will land in a permanent place. Um, and, and if you rebel, he will send you away. But if you repent, no matter where you are, no matter how far away, then our God will hear and he will forgive and he will bring you back. That's exactly what Nehemiah is praying about now. Chapter 1, verse 10. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, 
and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah, even though he was in exile, was a responsible man, a, a, uh, an honest man, a devoted man, very loyal to his king. And in the position of cupbearer, a very important thing, as we have seen in other passages, uh, such as uh, when we were with, in prison with Joseph, and he met the cupbearer of the king there. Uh, Nehemiah holds that very guarded position now, and he's praying to God because he's going to go to um, his king with a request. Chapter two, in the ninth, in, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. What a great tribute to Nehemiah. Even the king notices, hey, you're a little down today and you're never down. Nehemiah was a man of faith, even though he was away from his homeland, even though he was serving a foreign king. Nehemiah still took great joy in the Lord and obviously a man of great faith based on his reaction when he questions and hears about the situation uh, in his homeland in Jerusalem. And so when he comes before the king, he doesn't even try to hide it. And the king notices this can be nothing but sadness of heart. And he's right. He's right. Verse 2 continues, I was very much afraid. Now verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gate, gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. What a great statement in chapter 2, verse 4. The king asked him, what, what do you want, Nehemiah? And you know, every once in a while, you've done this, haven't you? Where you know that something important is about to happen, or maybe it's a job interview, or maybe you're talking to someone that needs to hear the word of the Lord. And before you say a word, you say that silent prayer in your heart and in your mind. Lord, help me to have the right words. Help, help this to be according to your will. That's exactly what Nehemiah does here in the presence of the king. And he prays to God when the king says, hey, you look really sad. This must be sadness of heart. And Nehemiah answers honestly and says, of course, why shouldn't I not? How could I not be sad? My, my homeland lies in ruins. Its gates, its walls have been destroyed with, by fire. And the king says, well, what is it that you want? And so Nehemiah, before he answers, prays. As much as he had prayed already, he prays again. Verse 4, then the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. It's a big ask. Nehemiah trusted man in service to the king, and yet he asks him, I need, I need some time off. I need to go home. My people need me. Then the king, verse 6, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He continues, verse 7, I, 
I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, that area on the other side of uh, the known world uh, across the Euphrates from where he was at the time, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Another big ask. But Nehemiah has great faith, and he has prayed about this. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. He didn't want anything to happen to his guy. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. You see, evil people don't like it when someone good comes in to help the people that are good but that are downtrodden. And these were enemies of the Jews, and they didn't like it. They certainly didn't like a man of power and authority, like Nehemiah coming with uh, soldiers to protect him and to carry out his duty with letters from the king. Um, it was a very interesting situation. So what's going to happen? Well, not much right away. Listen to what Nehemiah does first. Nehemiah 2, verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, verse 17 of chapter 2. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, and we will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. What a great plan. He prays, and then he goes before the king, and he prays before he answers the king. And the king gives him letters and soldiers and sends him away to go help his, his homeland. And when he gets there, he doesn't say anything to anybody. And he gets rebuked from the start from the enemies of the Jews. But he goes about at night and kind of takes inventory of what it looks like. Just exactly what are we talking about here? And then he gets the group together, the group of Jews there finally. And he tells them what God had placed on his heart, which was to rebuild the walls and the gates. 
he tells them about the, the favor that the king has given him. And he challenges them, Let it's time to rebuild. Let's do this. And the people respond, let's, let's start this good work. It is an incredible, incredible time. And so they begin. But again, their, their work is not without opposition. And we see that come up several times throughout um, the book of Nehemiah. And so let's skip over to chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and read a little bit about that. Nehemiah 4, verse 1, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? What they are building, even a fox climbing on it, would break down these walls of stones. Nehemiah responds in verse 4 with, guess what? Prayer. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He doesn't. He doesn't mince words, does he? He prays to God to protect them and to, and to bring about the, um, the defeat of his, uh, of his uh, uh, enemies. And that's, that, and that's okay. That's okay. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. In spite of their insults and derisions and their uh, objecting, uh, the people rebuilt half the wall. They were getting, making progress, and what a great thing that was. And the reason is, according to verse 6 of chapter 4, for the people worked with all their heart. You know, when God's people work with all of our hearts, there's nothing that we can't do because we have the power of the Lord working with us. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love that, don't you? Nehemiah prayed to God, but he also posted a guard. You know, you don't, you, you don't, what does James say? Faith without works is dead in James chapter 2. Yes, by all means, pray. Yes, by all means, trust in the Lord. But do what you need to do, what he's calling you to do as well. We see that happen in the book of Ephesians as well as Paul leads three great prayers. And he says our God is able to help us to do more than we could ask or imagine through us. Um, Nehemiah says we pray to our God and posted a guard. I love that. In Nehemiah 4, verse 9, we prayed to the Lord and posted a guard. There you go. Chapter 4, verse 13. Because of that continued um, uh, enemy opposition. Therefore, verse 13 of chapter 4, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. You see his strategy at work in these verses. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Boy, what a great leader Nehemiah is. Uh, he tells them to, to be willing to fight. They're not just protecting the walls and the, and the building project. They're protecting their families. And they're doing it in the name of the Lord and remembering how great and awesome our God is. Uh, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Verse 16 of Nehemiah 4, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded this trumpet stayed with me. Nehemiah made sure that the key player that would communicate, you know, that, that idea of, of communication in battle is very important. And the trumpet was the, the sign of warning and uh, battle. And so Nehemiah had them doing work with one hand and holding their weapon in the other and keeping their swords at their sides. And the, the man who sounded the trumpet, he says, stayed with me. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So many great quotes in the book of Nehemiah. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. Worked all day. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. There was no one that wasn't involved. They all were involved. Sure, of course, they slept some in there, but they were dressed. They never took their clothes off. They never let their weapon get very far away from them, even when they were working. It was a great plan, great plan. In chapter 5, there's some problems that come up. You know, Satan is going to try to try to do his work to defeat the people. And he does it through their enemies that we've already read about, but he also does it in some internal problems. Nehemiah hears in chapter 5 that they're charging each other an exorbitant amount of interest or usury. And they weren't supposed to do that to their own people, according to the laws of Moses. And uh, the, the people realized it when Nehemiah challenged them. And they said, we will we'll do better. Uh, we'll make this right. And Nehemiah himself says that he, in fact, not only did he not charge interest, he allowed people to eat at his table and supported many of them because of his uh, the blessings that he had. So we keep turning on to chapter 5 now. We're in chapter 5. And we'll read, um, uh, and that's where we read about all the interest and all of the things that were going on and how Nehemiah was innocent in it all. And that brings us to chapter 6. And chapter 6 is where we read about the completion of the temple. And it's a great story. Nehemiah 6, beginning at verse 1. 
when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem met me, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plan of Ono. <laughs> right. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply, and this is a great reply in Nehemiah 6 verse 3. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Don't we need to have that attitude when Satan tries to distract us and he tries to disappoint us and, and send ideas and people and, and situations our way to get us off task? You know, Jesus was so focused. He said, I have come uh, uh, to give my life. I have come that they might have life. Um, he said that he came to spread the word of God, to, to bring salvation to all people. He came to be a servant. Um, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, he says in Luke 19, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus very focused. Nehemiah focused here too, and he sees right through them. And he tells them, hey, I'm doing a good work here. Why should I quit and come down and mess with you? Just an amazing response. Chapter 6, verse 5. Then the fifth time they sent that request, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to come their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. In verse 8, I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. You know, when our enemies uh, can't tell the truth to win, they try to lie. They spread stories, slander, gossip, whatever they can do to raise trouble for the people of God, the ones in the right. And Nehemiah again sees through that and he just simply denies it. And he says, nothing like what you're saying is going on. I'm not trying to become a king. I'm not rebelling against the king. In fact, it's the king that has sent me here with his blessing. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head, <laughs> verse 8 says. Now verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, but it will not be complete, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Again, prayer. Again, this and what incredible uh, mission that Nehemiah is on. Now strengthen my hands, he prays at the end of verse 9. Uh, Nehemiah 6, verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And he knew what would happen. He would go in there and they would either kill him in there or they would trap him in there to where he couldn't get out. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They had paid him off. 
He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me, going somewhere where he shouldn't be going, into the temple. Verse 14, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Verse 15, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Because they were committed to doing this with all of their heart, because they refused to get sidetracked, they completed the wall. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. That's the only way it could have happened. From start to finish, from the moment Nehemiah heard, to the moment he prayed, to the moment he stood before the king, to the moment he arrived in Jerusalem, did a, a, a night check of the walls, and then began the work. Um, this was the hand of the Lord, and everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. And so the wall was completed. In 52 days, amazing what God's people can do when they go after it with all their heart. Well, the rest of Nehemiah has uh, much more information about um, the restoration of the people and um, the, uh, the distribution of the, of the land, and they need to keep some people in Jerusalem. And so in Nehemiah 11, verses 1 and 2, we read this, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. <laughs> they didn't want to live in the city any more than people today do at times. And remember, they, they were just now rebuilding their homeland after being in exile for all those decades. And now years later, here they are trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, trying to rebuild the worship of God there, rebuilding the walls to protect the city, Zerubbabel rebuilding the, the temple. But they needed some people to stay, and so they cast lots so that 10% would stay, and they commended all of those who voluntarily said, okay, we'll, we'll stay, we'll stay. What a great, great time. The wall is dedicated in chapter 12 with great fanfare. And it's just a wonderful, a wonderful time when the people worked at it with all their heart, when they decided that they weren't going to be distracted, when they would not let their enemies' insults and threats uh, keep them from doing the work that God had appointed them to do. And at every step, there was prayer. At every step, there was prayer. And Nehemiah was their leader. And what a great statement he makes in chapter 5, verse 19. Nehemiah 5, verse 19, this could be the prayer of every leader, every minister, every elder, every shepherd, every Bible class teacher, every person who has sought to help the people of God and has been met with obstacles and with difficulties along the way, but has persevered. This is what Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah 5, verse 19, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. What a great statement for us to end this lesson on. Because like Nehemiah, we all have been given a project. We all have been given tasks, called on by our great God 
to do his will and to serve his people. And he will provide for us and he'll be there every step of the way if we pray and seek his guidance and pray as our Lord taught us and as our Lord himself prayed in the garden before he was killed. Not my will, but yours be done. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done right now, right here in my life. I hope you can pray that prayer. That's what Nehemiah did. He prayed for God to show his will. And then when God put it on his heart to go back home, he approached the king with great prayer, went to Jerusalem with great prayer, rebuilt the walls because the people were willing to commit to working with all of their hearts refusing to be distracted, refusing to give in to the threats, being willing to fight for their families and for their homeland and for this project that God had them doing. They completed it in record time. And their enemies were defeated. And they realized this was brought about by the hand of God. Father, I pray that you too would remember all that your servants do today to help your people to spread your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you on Thursday, and we talk about Ezra.